This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast where we take a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morse, and this week it's the 200th episode of the Bobcast. Take a trip down memory lane with us with some of the highlights from the last five plus years. That's coming up on the Bates Bobcast. The Bobcast debuted on October 6, 2015, and in only our fifth episode, we got a chat with the president of Bates, Clayton Spencer, about her passion for sports. You know, I know you're into sports. When did you really first start to really find that passion for athletics? I think I first started when I was a little kid. I'm third in a family of four. Older brother was a Yankees fan. Boo. Um, older sister, not particularly into sports. And uh, But I started by playing outside. We had a great neighborhood. Our yard was the gathering place. We played kickball every afternoon. Then we evolved to football and basketball. So I started the way any active, competitive little kid starts, I think. And in terms of sports that you were following, did you follow like basketball teams closely or whatnot? I was born in North Carolina, the basketball capital of the world, collegiate basketball. Moved to Virginia when I was two and lived from age two to 13 in Virginia. And the entire time I lived in Virginia, every time we were in a car, we were listening on scratchy AM radio to the live broadcasts of Davidson College basketball games. So Davidson has reemerged into prominence as the home of Steph Curry. Back then, Lefty Rizel was the coach of Davidson before he went to Maryland, and we had several guys, Fred Hetzel, Dick Schneider, Mike Malloy, who, who went from Davidson to be pros. And so Davidson was consumed with basketball. My dad was, had been on the faculty at Davidson. He's a graduate of Davidson, and ultimately, when I was 13, he went back to be president of Davidson. And in the meantime... Davidson basketball intruded in its scratchy radio form into our family life um, in all sorts of ways. It was way before the era of live video casts, but we followed every move. I knew every player, Barry Teague, you name it. And then you ended up going to Williams College for your undergrad. Did you play any sports there or follow the sports when you were there? Yeah, I played varsity basketball, but I want to say so that there's no misunderstanding about that. I hold a, a record. It, it, this was all pre-NESCAC. One of my colleagues at Harvard used to introduce me at events and say I held the record for the lowest vertical jump in women's basketball, um, which is probably true because I am a spectacularly mediocre athlete. But the deal is I spent my whole life shooting baskets. So by the time, and there were, my, my high school, we didn't have any girls' teams. It was before Title IX. So there were no girls' teams. Ultimately, I went away to school. I got to play basketball there. Then I played at Williams, and I had a really good shot. So I played varsity ball at Williams pre-Title IX. We probably barely had enough people to scrape together a team. Um, and I played freshman year, sophomore year, and then I went, went away the second half of my sophomore year. And then when I came back, I didn't play junior and senior year. 
And so you must be, I mean, obviously very pleased with the evolution of college athletics in terms of, you know, being much more inclusive now for, you know, women's sports. Absolutely. And I was thrilled to raise my kids. I have a boy and a girl who are now in their 20s, but I was thrilled that they absolutely had equal opportunities for athletic events. And I was a very enthusiastic soccer mom uh, with my kids. Neither one of them was interested in basketball. And then obviously you were at Harvard for years and years and then ended up coming here to Bates to become president. What attracted you to the opportunity here um, in, in Lewiston? I love the mission and history of Bates. I have always loved the liberal arts. So when I was 13, I moved back and grew up the rest of my junior high and high school on the campus of Davidson College. And then, by the way, I went to every single home game. I don't know if this is documented. I do not think I missed a home game. And Davidson used to play in the Charlotte Coliseum. So it was like a big deal. So I grew up at Davidson, went to Williams, higher ed junkie my whole life, very interested in returning to a liberal arts setting where the scale allows you to be closer to the enterprise, to the students. At Harvard, I was in the central administration. I loved what I did for 15 years there, but was ready for a new challenge. Um, I have a passion for Maine. Um, I had spent my entire adult life, our family, going to summers in Maine, so that makes me kind of a Maine cliché thinking it's all about the summer. But um, I, I love the idea of coming to Maine and leading an institution with the values, mission, history, and character that Bates has. When the new year arrived in 2016, the Bobcast got a chance to travel to Connecticut in March to cover Ahmed Abdelkalik's attempt at defending his individual national championship in men's squash. And he did exactly that, bringing home another title to Bates. We talked before how you really play, you know, for your dad and everything. I know you talk to him a lot on the phone between matches and whatnot. What have you spoken to him yet? What do you guys talk about? Yeah, I've spoken to him for like a minute after the match just to tell him that I won. But I honestly, if I owe it to anyone, I owe it to my dad. Uh, I didn't want to play, and you know, when you're not hungry anymore, you, you just don't want to get on court. You don't want to train. He just asked me to do it for him. And if you want to win, you really need to find someone precious to you or something precious to you to play for. And I just did it for him. I know also you have a great relationship with a lot of the parents uh, that surround the squash program. Talk a little bit about that. Well, they have been more than supportive of me on and off court, especially uh, Mr. Cannon, Mr. Burke, Mr. Mitchell. Uh, those three have had a... They really... Words can't, can't express how I really feel about those people. Like, if I keep thanking them for, for a decade, I won't be able to finish. I, I swear, they, they, have, they have done so much for me. I mean, the pressure, was it pressure more to win it again, or was the pressure was to finish out with the winning streak? Both, Both maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Both. It's, it's very hard. But I was just trying as much as I can to eliminate all of that BS, you know what I mean, and just play the match. But it's still very hard. But I'm happy it worked out. How cool is it to have all these supporters rooting you on? I mean, the Bates outnumbered huge the Rochester. Difference. Huge difference. You know when you're playing by yourself, it feels like no one cares. But when all of those people come, and even alumni, and all your team, like literally all of my teammates are here tonight, today. Men and women, all of them, 
you know how like you know how I'm supposed to feel like having breakfast all of us together and even last night when we were hanging out together in the lounge it gives you a great feeling like these people got my back like win or lose they have got my back so it's a great feeling and it made a huge difference having them by my side today uh, I know we've talked before how you're not going to pursue professional squash full time you're probably going to play a lot right um maybe uh, I'll pursue coaching career but not you know not I don't want to play in the pro tour uh, maybe just coaching career like as a part-time job, not a full-time. You touched on this previously, but after you beat Bayumi, you basically knew you were going to win it all. Is that a fair no. state? <laughs> no, not at all. No. No. It, it's different. You know, last year I beat Kobayashi 3-love in like 25 minutes. I knew it wasn't going to be the same. It's different when it's like you're playing someone in the semifinals and when you're playing, when you're playing him in the finals or even when you're playing head-to-head. -head. Each match has its own circumstances. So you need to prepare for each match by itself, you know what I mean? How are you able to overcome the knee issue? What happened there? I don't know. I didn't really feel it until they told me. So I was just making sure that the blood didn't appear because if it had appeared, I would have lost the game. Yeah. Gotcha. And I mean, both of you had injury timeouts. I mean, it was a pretty physical competition there. Yeah. Yeah. There was so much interference, in the, in the, especially in the third game, because both of us knew that the winner of the third game would win the match. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, so Kobayashi mentioned he looked like he was improved from last time. What was challenging about him? Well, he played way better. He was fighting so hard. Last year, he wasn't really fighting as much. Or maybe I was better. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But this time, even he was just getting to each and every shot I played. It's very frustrating when you know that this is a winner for me. I should win this point. And then he comes out of nowhere and he wins the point. You know what I mean? So... Instead of being a winner for you, it's a winner for him. It was very frustrating. Has it hit you yet that you're back-to-back -back national champ? No. I, I was sick a week before the tournament, and I started playing three days before it started. So I was just I was preparing for myself to lose. And it, I didn't, so it's great. The 2016-17 academic year was an eventful one. One of the highlights for the Bobcast was traveling to Naperville, Illinois in March to cover the NCAA Division III Track and Field Championships. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Chicago Heritage National Airport. Local time is approximately 3.49. It's March and 15 Bates College student athletes and coaches are traveling more than a thousand miles to Naperville, Illinois for the 2017 NCAA Division III Indoor Track and Field Championships. On the flight there, they get a shout out from the pilot. Bates College Indoor Track Team. They are headed to Chicago for the NCAA Division III Championship. So a high five to the team and coach Jay Hartshorn. Do your best. For many of the Bobcats, this trip is their first to Chicagoland. The men's distance medley relay team of senior captain Patrick Griffin, sophomore Michael Soma, junior Rob Flynn, and junior Jack Kiley take the opportunity to try some Chicago-style pizza on their first night in town. Reviews are positive. Very good. Very different, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm from New Jersey, so I mean, it was good, but I'm not sure if it was pizza, per se. I think it was more pie. Yeah, yeah, definitely, that's definitely good. What do you think? Yeah, I've been to Chicago before, okay. so I've had the deep dish pizza. I love it. Um, so it was definitely nice to have that little treat when we get away from Maine and I guess New York kind of style yeah, pizza. Yeah. The team departed from Maine on Wednesday and returns on Sunday. The trip takes place in the middle of the winter semester 
So academics are on the minds of all the athletes, in particular Rob Flynn, who has somewhat of a unique challenge. Yeah, so I'm actually taking five courses, so maybe <laughs> it made it a little harder than usual. Um, but, I, you know, the professors at Bates are great. Um, I was... As soon as we found out, I sent them emails and just said, hey, this is what's going to be going on. And I got a lot of cheering, although I don't know if many of them know a lot about track, but uh, just a lot of good wishes and uh, any sort of help I needed. So I really appreciate that from the professors because it, you know, it stinks to miss class and you miss a lot of learning experiences from being there. So um, it's not just we get to go on vacation and run a race, um, but uh, it's, it's really nice to have them. Um, be so understanding and, and, you know, want us to go experience that, yeah. The women's distance medley relay team of senior captain Claire Markonic, senior captain Jessica Wilson, sophomore Aiden Eikhoff, and sophomore Sarah Rothman brings a wide range of experience. For Markonic, who is making her fourth trip to nationals. Each year it's been a new group, so it's exciting every year, and uh, it's just an honor to be here uh, four years in a row. To Rothman, who is making her first trip the NCAA championships in track. Track is definitely like my favorite season, like cross country, I think it's a lot of fun, but like we have to run 6K as opposed to like less than a mile. So <laughs> <laughs> so in that sense, it's like really exciting. And I just remember watching the DMR from like the viewing room last year in Commons. Like, and I was just like, wow, I wonder what it feels like to actually be in that line. Now like here I am, like I get to like experience that for myself tomorrow. So it's just like, crazy what can happen in a year and I'm just super excited to see how it how it plays out tomorrow. Both DMR squads are basically teams within the larger Bates track and field team. It creates a special bond. We travel together even just to Boston so, and same roommate assignment so I guess that kind of normalizes everything. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah so we've been training together all season yeah, so like we, it's we've kind of have a bond that we call ourselves the mid-D squad. I mean Mike doesn't necessarily do the same workouts kind of that we do. Me, yeah. I mean, he's still a, a part of the squad, yeah, but you know, and I, we're missing our, our good friend Olin, who um, who unfortunately couldn't come with us, but he's been training with us all year long too. So like, give a shout out to him. Yeah, Olin shout out to Olin. Olin, we miss you, man. Um, but yeah, so we just kind of have we, we're used to it. Like as Pat said, or as Mike said, we've been to a lot of meets together, so yeah, it's all it's all routine at this point. Mm-hmm. All right, well, time to get at it. The night before the two-day meet begins, men's head coach Al Farashidian, in his 22nd season at Bates, gathers his team together. This is what we train for. This is what we do, right? This is where you want to be. So love every minute of it. Hmm. But, but don't think that for a minute that you're going to get on the line or get in the circle and that you're going to be calm, cool, and collected and just, you know, tough as nails. No, you're going to be scared to death, Okay. <laughs> All right? And that's good. We want to utilize that. Use that to generate the type of performance that you're capable of. Okay? Don't be surprised if you feel that way. I can guarantee you there's 550 athletes that are going to toe the line this weekend and whatever thing they're doing, and they're going to feel the exact same thing you are. On Friday, the men's DMR team finishes 10th, just two spots shy of an All-America finish. The other male Bobcat at Nationals, Junior Adedire Fakaridi earns the second All-America plaque of his career, finishing fourth in the weight throw. I, I really like to thank my coach for being very patient with me this season. We transitioned from a two-turn to three-turn, and the results weren't necessarily transitioning from practice to meets, but this was the first meet that we really started to get a glimpse of what we were seeing in practice. So I'm very excited for outdoors, because it started about like 25 minutes ago, as soon as I took my last weight throw for my junior year. 
The outdoor season is also on the mind of senior captain Allison Hill, but for a different reason. After she hits a hurdle in the 60-meter hurdles, Hill does not qualify for the finals. Once I got my uh, composure after the 60 hurdles, I was like, time for outdoor. I was, so it does, I mean, obviously you have to qualify, but it does conflict with graduation and you kind of can, you have to consider that. But after what happened in the hurdles, I'm like, there's no way I'm not going. And so it put a little fire under me because, um, yeah, I want, it's when, you, when it's right there, you just you want to take it. Women's DMR team finishes fourth in their race easily earning All-America honors. Afterwards, the happy foursome meets with head coach Jay Hartshorn. Sophomore Aiden Eikhoff gets a special reward for her efforts. I said to Fresh, I was like, before the race, I was like, oh yeah, I told her and she ran under 215 at Byron Popcorn. And then you finish, she's like, popcorn. And you're like, four minutes. I didn't have good time going at all, so I was just like, I hope I get popcorn. Three out of four for you, right? Three times you're all American? Yeah. Our highest one, weren't we, with your freshman year fifth? The enthusiasm from the women's DMR team's finish carries over to the second day of the meet. Junior Sally Cisse becomes a two-time indoor All-American in the triple jump, and Hill bounces back to finish fifth in the 200-meter dash. In fifth place for Bates, Allison Hill. Her first career indoor All-America finish. And fellow senior captain Jessica Wilson caps off the day by finishing fifth in the 3,000-meter run, her second All-America finish of the meet and the third of her career. Midway through her post-race interview, Wilson gets a pleasant surprise. How about uh, Allie in the 200 today, Sally in the triple jump? Allie, uh, Allie got, I believe, um, fifth in the 200, yeah. So she got All-American, Sally got All-American. How cool is that? It's amazing. I'm going to cry. I didn't know that Allie got fifth. I was so proud of her. I, we were in the little corral pen, and so I didn't see her, but I'm so happy for her. I was, I mean, you know, I saw Sally jump, and that was amazing. And, I mean, Sally is just so strong. And the fact that she came in seventh for the second year in a row uh, after outdoor she came in seventh, I was so impressed with her. Allie, I am honestly... I, when I think about Allie right now, I just want to start crying because I'm so proud of her. And I mean, that hurdle, that hurdle race was really tough. And I think the whole team really, really felt for Allie. And we all, you know, really wanted Allie to do well. And when Allie did well in the 200, you know, it really helped because she, out of anyone, deserves to be an All-American. And she, out of anyone, deserves to be happy because, I mean, she works harder than anyone that I've ever met. And so for her to come in fifth really, like, <laughs> makes me want to cry because I'm so happy for her. If you count up the Bates All-Americans this year, there were a lot of them. While the awards are something to be proud of, that's not the most important part of competing in the Bobcat track and field program. As Jack Kylie said, we all support each other, even in times of setback or failure. We came to that meet as a family, and we returned as one. Now it's on to outdoors. For Bates Athletics, I'm Aaron Morris. That spring, the men's lacrosse team rose to number one in the national rankings, advancing to the NCAA quarterfinals after an undefeated regular season. Looking back on the 2017 Bates men's lacrosse season with the head coach of the Bobcats, Peter Lasagna, and 
Well, Coach, first of all, obviously the Wesleyan game, a thriller, a heartbreaker, however you want to describe it. Obviously, you guys rally from seven goals down to tie. Wesleyan gets the goal late. What do you tell your team immediately after something like that? Because um, it's obviously a tough situation with you know all the seniors realizing, oh, this is it for us. First, we cried a lot. Um, it was very emotional. And when you have a vision that includes winning that game and moving on to another place you've never been before, it is, it's, a, it's a hard, it's a hard, harsh ending. Um, and we tried to, as quickly as possible, get to being so proud of all the incredible things that they accomplished and that, uh, as hallmark cardi as it sounds, um, it was certainly an ending for one team, but it was very much a beginning for the next team and for Bates Lacrosse. Yeah, and there's so much death on this team. We'll get to that in a moment. But I want to talk one more thing about the Wesleyan game. You almost turned the tables. I mean, it looked like you guys might win the game when you called for a stick check, which is kind of uh, – I hadn't seen that all year. Someone get called for a three-minute stick violation. Was that like just a move that you were like, oh, let's see if this works? Or did, did, did you see something? No, there were a couple moments. He obviously had a great – he had a great game. Um, but there were a couple moments where he won a face-off and ran through – three or four people getting checked really heavily. And so every face-off guy, because of the stress that they put on the head of their stick, probably has an illegal stick at some point during the course of the game. And we sort of decide not to call it. Um, but with the advantage that he was getting, possibly with an illegal stick, uh, it seemed like the time was right. Yeah, and it obviously was. And, and Charlie Faye, what a... What, what, what more can you say about what he did down the stretch, right? Well, the, his performance was remarkable, um, and I think the team's performance was remarkable. I mean, nobody thought, and I'm guessing not even anybody on the Wesleyan sideline, thought they were going to hold this team to zero goals right. in the first half, and they did, and they get a lot of credit for that. Um, and for us, that was experiencing something we certainly had not experienced all year on the biggest stage. So for us to just... Talk about believing, um, remembering what we do really well, which is score goals quickly, uh, and staying true to who we have been all year long, and then watch it play out like that, where I think we went from every fan there, again, no matter who you were rooting for, went from, oh, this is too bad, hoped it wouldn't end this way, uh, to, oh my God, Bates is actually going to win this game. Uh, was one of the most incredible things I've ever been a part of. And it was, it was of course, it's very difficult to end that way. But to also just the, the admiration that I have for the effort um, is something none of us will ever forget. Women's rowing won the 2017 NCAA championship, capping off a year that saw Bates finish a school record 20th in the final Director's Cup standings, which measures success in NCAA Division III championships among its 451 member institutions. Then in the fall of 2017, the Bates football team won a program record fourth straight CBB series title, beating Kobe by a field goal and Bowden by a touchdown. Bowden took a 3-0 lead with 4.42 to go in the first quarter, but it took Bates just 14 seconds to take the lead back. Makes something happen with his feet. Pass down the move across the 40, across midfield. He's at the 30, 20, 10, touchdown. First-year quarterback Brendan Costas' 70-yard touchdown run gave Bates a 7-3 edge 
Well, against Colby, we ran uh, the Q draw a lot, uh, going right up the middle. So I think Bowden kind of focused on taking away the middle a lot. So then I kind of bounced it outside, and it was kind of just a straight shot to the end zone. And senior Grant DeWald made a 21-yard field goal with 104 left in the second quarter to extend the lead to 10-3. The Bobcats got the ball to start the third quarter, and first-year Jason Lopez added to the Bates' advantage with his fifth touchdown of the season. First and 10 from the 37-yard line. This time a sweep down to the left, and he is gone. Jason Lopez into the end zone for the touchdown. 37 yards for the speedy Lopez. Costa loves the excitement his fellow first-year brings to the table. He's so focused all the time, and the kid's fast. Like Once he gets an open space, there's no catching Jason. With 6.14 left in the third quarter, Bowden cut the lead to 17-10 to thanks to an 8-yard touchdown pass. But Bates responded early in the fourth quarter. Third and goal from the one. Back to Flaherty. Over left tackle and in for the touchdown. Maine native Kyle Flaherty's second touchdown of the season extended the Bobcat advantage to 24-10. But Bowden was not done. After Bates fumbled a punt, Noah Nelson found Gregory Olson for a 26-yard touchdown, trimming the lead to 24-17. With two minutes remaining in the game, Bowden had one last chance, moving the ball to the Bates' 35-yard line. But then, the Bates' defense made a game-clinching play. Pressure coming. He eludes one tackler going deep, looking for the wide receiver, and it's picked off. Picked off by Bates. First-year Devin Clyburn's interception marks the first of his collegiate career. It was it was great. It felt good to know that you know sealed the game. Definitely, it feels good to play well in a big game and definitely get a win. It just felt good for my seniors, especially seniors on my team, to know that I may help them uh, complete history. The 2017-18 academic year saw the rowing program put together its greatest season ever. The women's rowing team's first varsity eight won the gold medal at the NCAA championships, a first in the program's history. And the Bobcats, as a team, took home another national title. Meanwhile, the men's rowing team qualified for the prestigious IRA National Championship Regatta, becoming the first NESCAC crew ever to compete on the biggest stage of collegiate rowing, with the likes of Harvard, Yale, Washington, and more. After the women won the NCAA championship and before the men competed at IRAs, the Bobcats chatted with head coach Peter Steenstra. That race was months, if not years, in the making. It was uh, something that they had been very prepared for and focused on, and they had been racing at that almost the exact same pace and the exact same uh, strategy-wise going through the 2,000 meters. Nothing about that was anything at all interesting or exciting, and that's exactly why they're national champions is because they're, they're just flat out that much better. Yeah, it's interesting. There wasn't much drama at all, really. I mean, Williams wasn't even in the grand final. Wasn't that weird? Yeah, no. no. <laughs> uh, I mean, we obviously we knew that, but it, yeah. we were focused more on the boats that that were going to have the real speed to compete, and yeah. and so it, we knew that it would be um, somewhere in that second 500 meters. Uh, Ithaca would make a very strong move. They're always quick off the line, so we kind of expected that anyway. Uh, but it was through that second 500 that we knew we'd be able to establish. Our dominance in the piece, um, and then if you anyone who watches the video, you can see that there was no way that anyone was going to be able to haul them in 
through that second thousand meters. They were the second thousand was kind of like a, a victory tour at that point. <laughs> right, right. And you know, you mentioned before I, there's a lot of experience. But I was looking through it. There's there were three seniors in that boat, yeah. right? So there's still a lot of people coming yeah. back. Yeah, try not to tell anybody. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, three seniors in the boat. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the second boat. Uh, what do we have? Two in there plus a coxswain. So, mm-hmm. um, or no, sorry, three. But um, yeah, either way, you you slice it. We're losing 21 seniors out of an entire group of 60 plus people. That's men and women included. Mm-hmm. So a third of the program is is graduating, and so it. Mostly what that is is a big portion of the the personality of the team. When you have one large class that's working its way through, um, the program is going to inevitably take on the personality of that group. How about the venue? Because that was obviously new for everyone. What were your impressions of it? Beautiful race course. Um, It's the only place we've ever been to where it's a piece of water specifically designed for rowing, designed and built for rowing. So to have a whole um, warm-up portion of the of the water and then even like you know uh, i don't even know what they call it the back channel in order yeah. to like you go through through the race course and you come back on a back channel that you know was built for so that the entire system is in a big circle it's just uh it was a great experience for them it was cool for me to be there and see it for the first time um no one can control the weather and yeah florida is going to be florida <laughs> and uh it's just the way it goes and like, there was a lot of rain and so the whole place turned into a giant mud pit, but everyone kind of took that with a smile and just kept going. Yeah, it definitely was very muddy on land, but it sounded like the water conditions were perfect. Water conditions were perfect, yeah. especially on the final day. Mm. We thought we were fully expecting 15-mile-an-hour crosswinds, mm. and it turned into almost glass. I mean, we might have there might have been two or three-mile-an-hour puffs here yeah. and there, but there was nothing. It was really, really nice. Second varsity eight. Finished second to Wellesley in their heat on Friday. Was that surprising to you? Is that surprising to the people in the boat? Um, surprising that we lost. Well, surprising that heat. Wellesley was that fast, I guess. Um, yeah. No, no, yeah. no. We we always expect Wellesley in particular to get mm-hmm. faster. They're very well coached. Um, we knew that they would get better anyway, so that's something we fully expected. Um, I, you never expect to lose <laughs> a heat or something like that, yeah. but... I think that uh, the women responded to it very well. Uh, the only thing I kind of mentioned to them was that they're at, at the end of that loss. You know, that's the first time they were challenged, so they got better that day, and uh, we and then they showed that in the final. Yeah, in the final they were down there a little bit, but then they rallied. What did you see from them over the last what five hundred there? I saw their true speed, yeah. and and they felt their full potential in the second half of that race course. Excellent. Now let's look ahead a little bit to IRAs coming up this weekend. Obviously, maybe different expectations, if you will, but you're the same in, in a way because you still want the, the expectations to go as fast as possible, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the expectations based on the rest of the rowing world is that we're supposed to go there and be last. Mm. So when you take that approach and you start to look at who else is involved in the race, there's groups that they're both that we're just not going to catch, and so we shouldn't even plan on that. We're not going to... We're not going to do the old pie in the sky thing and, you know, shoot for the stars and land on the moon, all that nonsense. We're not going to do any of that. This is going to be, let, let's surgically go into this thing. Let's figure out who we can go after. We're going to race four times no matter what. We're supposed to finish last. So let's see who we can pick off along the way. Um, the heats and land assignments just came out, so we know who's yeah. in that race now. And 
and this morning at the end of the practice, and the guys loaded the trailer, and, and I said, you know, we kind of got together and chatted, um, and we just need to treat all four races like a grand final, mm-hmm. because, you know, in our op- opening heat, there's Cornell. When are we ever going to chan- get a get a chance to race the Cornell Varsity Eight again, mm-hmm. right? So let's just see what you can do against that Varsity Eight, and same thing with Penn, and and so on and so forth, and then. Once you get through the heat and you're in the reps, which is what we're exactly where we should be, then then there's going to be three other boats that we probably have never seen before, and let's see who we can beat in that group and just continue on through the regatta that way. It's not a matter of you know figuring out how to get through the race and, and hoping to save the best for last and all that. No, 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 no. We're not going to overthink this thing. Let's just go and line up every chance we line up, and every time they say the word go, we give it everything we've got. Is it kind of weird as a coach to go from being expected to win the national title to being expected to finish last or something? It is quite different, yeah. yeah. It's quite different. Um, you want to, with the women, it was um, trying to calm them down in some ways because mm-hmm. a lot of them were getting very excited, and, and obviously they were feeling the pressure of the, that expectation to win. And the guys are getting all excited because there's no expectation from the outside world for us to do much of anything there. Um, it, at the, at this moment, we're kind of the novelty group and we're, we're getting emails of congratulations from all the big time people and coaches and everything else. And we appreciate all that, but, um, you know, we're, we're going in this thing to, to pick a fight and see who we can get on top of. Well, and I saw Maris got in, right. And that's, yep. that's a team you are, that's a crew you already beat, right? We've already beaten them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then there's a few others that we're pretty excited about because mm-hmm. on paper we have every reason to think we can get in front of them. From uh, the two crews that are coming in from San Diego, and then Temple and and uh, St. Joe's out of Philadelphia, those are two crews that I think are are within our reach. And certainly, if it ends up that we're all in the in the fourth level final together, then great. It's going to be an awesome race, no matter what. Excellent. Well, any other thoughts on this past weekend, and uh, where does the women's program go from here? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were to ask any one of the women on the team, I think the answer to that is we go right back to the bottom of the mountain. <laughs> We say goodbye to the seniors, and we welcome in the new freshman class, and then uh, we start up the mountain again. In 2019, the women cemented their dynasty with a third straight NCAA championship and their fourth in the last five years. We were in Indianapolis for all the excitement. Senior captain stroke Sophia Rentel spent her entire Bates career in the first varsity eight boat, helping the Bobcats win three national titles along the way. I was having some nerves, as everyone always does way before the race, but there kind of came a moment uh, right as we were waiting to line up to get into the start area when I realized I'm not nervous, I'm just excited. And um, the, the seven or so minutes went by pretty quickly, and all I could think about was just it's the last time, and I just have to push as hard as I possibly can and enjoy it one last time. So wind in your face a little bit? A little bit, yeah. It was a little windy out there, but nothing we couldn't handle, nothing we hadn't seen before. So when that type of situation, how does that change things, if anything at all, in terms of the wind blowing towards you? Um, it just means, you know, be a little grittier, and all the same crews are out there experiencing the same wind, so trusting that we can handle it, and if they can't, they can't, but we know we can. You're right by the coxswain, so you, you're, you're, you're hearing everything very clearly right next to her. Uh, at what point were you, like, were you and Liza like, we got this, you know, it's open water at this point? I think when we were crossing into the last 500, we had already, you know, made it clear that we were up, but I think we started moving even more, and that was the moment when we were like, okay, we got this, but we're getting some more. We're, we're going to get a little more open water. We're going to go absolutely all out. 
the first day of the heats, the 2V, they had that kind of issue with the foot stretch or whatever. Were you aware of that or were you already like launched and not aware? Yeah, so we uh, we saw them start their race and stop it. We were waiting to line up for our race. So we were a little freaked out. We were worried that something happened, um, but we were sitting there and the officials were telling everyone what to do. And we figured that they were all okay. The rowers, you know, they were in good spirits. They really handled it like champions. And um, I think that reassured us that it was gonna be okay. We were gonna do it. And uh, some of them told us after the race that when they were able to watch our race go down, it gave them that little confidence boost that it was gonna be okay. We were gonna do it. All the delays throughout this, both days really, I mean, really yesterday. How'd you handle that? Um, honestly, we just we just handled it. We were used to being flexible. We like to say we wear our flexibility trousers and we certainly did. And each time we got out here and thought we were gonna race, we got ready, we got hyped. And then um, if, if they pushed the time back, we just said, okay, we'll chill out again and get hyped when the time comes. So obviously it wasn't a problem, but had you ever experienced anything like that before? Um, you know, racing is always variable. There's always weather, there's always something. And um, we hadn't experienced this, this kind of issue before, but uh, we had our last championship race in the pouring rain and cold. And really, I think at this point we could handle anything. So you're the only senior in the 1V, but there are obviously seniors in the 2V. So as a senior class, how special is this to cap things off like this? It's really special. Um, I think the four of us uh, rowing in these boats today, seniors, feel like we did it. We got the job done, and it's a good way to go out. The 2019-20 academic year did not go as planned, with the COVID-19 pandemic putting a halt to bait sports in March. But the Bobcast and the Bobcats press on. In the spring, we salute the seniors from each sport that saw its season cut short, including the softball duo of Kirsten Pelletier and Julia Panapinto. She started throwing, warming up, and we got to her screwball, and it was the most embarrassing catching moment for me in my life because I could not catch it. And I kept having to say, like, I swear I'm a catcher. I caught all my high school life. Like, I always catch for travel, but I've never had a pitcher that has thrown a ball with so much movement like I, I could not do it and I remember calling my dad that night saying oh my god this girl's really good and she is she's my type of teammate like I was I was so excited to play after that experience catching for KP. KP what do you remember about that those early days there on the team? <laughs> um, I remember that uh, Julia was kind of my saving grace um, we just kind of connected and I think this program and my experience wouldn't be what it was without her. Um, I think, I think that particular experience kind of just speaks to who she is, right? Like I was this timid first year and I was like, wow, like, should we go in the gray cage? Like, she's like, nah, we're going. And we just kind of went in and she gave me all the confidence that I needed. And we just kind of fed off each other from there. And in no way was like, she shouldn't have been embarrassed. Like, she did fine. <laughs> well, and Julia, you, you ended up finding a position there at third base. What was that process like? It was a little nerve-wracking. I didn't like how close I was to the batter at first. It kind of freaked me out. But as soon as the opportunity opened up, I think it was the third game we were in Florida, our current third baseman got hurt. I was just so excited to get in the infield. I started in the outfield and – I am way too anxious, and <laughs> I, the outfield was not my place to be. And so once I was given that opportunity to be in the infield, I took advantage of it and made sure I got as many infield reps as possible to make sure that I would 
not only play the position but really try to excel in it. KP, take us through maybe some of your more memorable moments, you know, looking back right now as a Bobcat, some games you won't forget, you think, down the road. Oh, my goodness. I just feel like there are so many. Um, I think our sophomore year when we went and beat Colby, I think we might have swept Colby that year. And um, it was we beat the number of wins in a Bates softball season that year, um, which was really cool to be a part of. Um, and then um, beating Tufts for the first time since 2007 was also um, a great feeling. And um, I remember uh, Caroline Bass uh, scoring the only run in that game and just seeing the smile and the intensity on her face, like, let's go, we're going to win this game. And I just, like, you just knew that we were. Um, and just, like, that feeling. Um, another game was when we went and played USM – uh, last year too, and um, I just personally felt like I had like a great game. Like all my stuff um, was working, and I felt good. Um, but I think if you just look back at our career and um, kind of everything that happened to the program, like I think from what it was to what it is now, I just I don't think you can look at it by one game. I think it's like a total change in culture. I think it's a total change in um, the type of people we have. And um, I couldn't be any more proud to be a part of that. Excellent. And, Julia, it's kind of a similar question for you. Any games in particular that stand out? I remember I think I interviewed you after your first ever home run. Is that one of the games that stands out for you? <laughs> you know, I feel like it should be, but I actually can't <laughs> remember who I played, who we were playing. Um, <laughs> and I think that is – very much to the idea that I really struggle with, like, looking at my individual successes as, Mm. like, a meter for success because I've always been so focused on how can I help the team win. And so the win that really – or the game that really resonates most with me when I think back is that game KP was referencing, that Tufts victory, because Tufts is – one of those schools that I never beat in volleyball. And so having the opportunity to beat them in softball stands out Mm. in my mind because Williams and Amherst, we never had that opportunity in either sport. And so getting that tough win always stands out. And it was just such a good feeling to take a game from a team that really has been a NESCAC softball dynasty school for so long. And so that was, I think, a, trans, a transition in a lot of our mindsets of like, all right, like Bates can beat Tufts. Bates can beat these teams. And, and, and I think it just made us all realize how capable we were. Certainly, I was going to follow up on the volleyball piece. Um, being a two-sport athlete here at Bates, one in the fall, one in the spring, you know, ha- having that experience throughout these past few years, what would you say to you know, an incoming first year who might be considering trying two sports as well about what it takes to succeed? I think it all just comes down to, to loving it. And I think the moment that you start to second guess if you want to be doing it, I think that's the moment you should stop. I, I really never had a moment where I was like, you know, I, I don't have enough time for this or how am I going to make this work? It was always the mindset of like, I'm going to make this work. Now let's figure out how. And so I think 
that has to be your mindset if you want to play two sports because it is a huge time commitment, not just to practices and games, but to your teammates and, and to lifts and, and making sure that every time you are there, you are present and you are ready to compete. And so I think you have to be prepared and really and really love each sport equally. And I think it makes it really hard when you want to give more attention to one sport than the other because I think that would lead to a poor culture in relationship with your teammates. And so I think that's something that I've prided myself on over the last four years is that I've really looked at Bates softball and volleyball as equals. KP, how have you seen yourself grow as a pitcher these last few years? My growth has been, like, undeniable. Um, I think if I think back to my first year, um, I was not very confident. I was I was just not the player and, I mean, person that I, that I am or I was. Um, I think um, being a pitcher, I kind of led – um, by that position, just like the nature of it. And I think being a first year and an underclassman is just kind of hard, right, to come into a position um, and not really have the guidance of an upperclassman. Um, so I kind of had to find that on my own um, within our team culture. But I think kind of as we grew, I grew as well. And I think this year having Coach Jesse, um, our new pigeon coach, was tremendous, and I think it will continue continue to be um, for the program and for Peyton and um, Danielle and Stephen next year. We are 200 episodes in, and we'll continue to take you, the Bates fan, inside the world of Bates athletics. Thank you for your continued support of the Bates Bobcast. Bates, 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 Bates.